0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. On today's episode of Autism Stories, we are talking employment with Carly Fulham, a process design manager at Bank of America. We discuss remote work, the interview process, and what makes some autistics good at process design. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Carly, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. It's great to be
0: here. wanted to start off like I do many of these episodes and uh, learn where does your story in the autism community begin?
1: Well, I had issues since I was a toddler. If you look at a list of a, a dozen or so early warning signs... I can check the box on all, like, all but two of them or type thing. But back in the 70s, they didn't consider autism for girls, especially if, you know, like, my speech issues were written off as cute and funny because, like, I spent a year speaking in commercial jingles. So they just all thought it was a blast that they could ask me how I was and I'd say, have a cook and a smile or something like that. (laughs) And so... It just did. The word autism didn't enter my life until um, in my mid twenties. I had a major burnout, and I ended up on SSDI with major depressive disorder. So I just couldn't figure out why I couldn't figure out how to get along with people. And so I had a myriad of different, you know, jobs and a myriad of experiences in, in college and things like that. But it wasn't until I came across a A magazine article about a little boy with autism that the light bulb went off when I realized that, you know, I it was almost describing me exactly. So I was able to get diagnosed from UCLA. Um, Luckily, I was in California at the time, and they have great services out here even for adults. And so I was able to get services, get back on my feet. And then uh, about six years ago or so, I, I discovered volunteering My employer highly encourages it, and I, at my second volunteer event, I walked up to a a booth that was at the resource fair and found my local autism nonprofit, and that led to me becoming their president a few months later and joining a few other boards and museum advisory committees, and now I put in about four to 500 hours a year in volunteering Mm
0: -hmm. for autism. Things have definitely come a long way with uh, diagnosis for women, but where do you think we are um, in terms of that? It seems like we still have a long way to go.
1: We, we do have a very long way to go. I know they're working on um, redefining the, the DSM and the ICDM for diagnosis criteria, but I don't think they're going to... From what I've heard, they're not going to go far enough for women even with that. I, I do a lot of... Giving advice on Facebook groups, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> right? It's one of my little hobbies. Is and so whenever I come across a woman who's looking for a diagnosis, I'm like, okay, tell me where you are. I'll check my list to see if I know someone who's competent in your area with diagnosing women. And you know, make sure that you take your mask off. And you be raw you be real and you you know, really express your challenges. And same goes for any adult trying to get a diagnosis. We're so used to having to cover and hide our true selves just to get on in society, that it's it's hard to remember that these people need to know your challenges. That's the important part of the diagnostic discussion.
0: Hmm. Now, you're currently uh, part of the document services strategy team at Bank of America. What's yeah. c- kind of the primary focus for you in that role?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, while I'm here, my opinions are my own and everything, but my... <laughs> My day job is that um, I actually get paid to use my autistic brain. It's really awesome. I'm one of the lucky ones in that respect. So I've grown up over the years at the bank. You know, we're going from smaller teams to bigger teams. And where I'm at now is the division that handles all paper and PDFs that all of Bank of America Merrill Lynch deals with. Millions and millions of documents a year. And um, that's all the mail that goes out, all the letters that come in, forms, you know, contracts, everything um, in that respect. And I'm one of a, of a couple of people on the team who it's our job that whenever there's you know, plans for next year, what we're going to do to improve processes or new projects that come along that we sort out, what's, what's the strategy we want to take towards that to, to make sure that our customers and clients – and our employees have the best experience that they possibly can. And uh, so it's, it's just really fun because it's, it's like getting paid to problem
0: solve. I, I think that many autistic people out there could thrive in uh, process design. How's, oh, yeah. How's uh, being autistic made you better at, at your job?
1: Yeah. So it's, it really comes down to just being wired differently. So I'm able to, I say I'm, I'm able to see the forest and the trees. I can find all the ways from A to Z that you can possibly imagine. And then some, cause I actually can't turn it off. Like I sit at a stoplight my brain tries to recalculate the timing of the lights to make traffic flow more efficiently. I look at your dishes in your dishwasher, and I'm like, okay, if you just move this over here, this over here, and this over here, you can put five more dishes. <laughs> so, like, I, I, My brain doesn't turn off process improvement. And so that's really a lot of what process design is, being able to understand your current state and see ways to improve
0: now, you started out at Bank of America in an entry-level uh, role, but management you know, recognized your talent and moved you into a role that um, helped with uh, issue resolution. In, yeah. in, in some cases, management certainly doesn't recognize talents of autistic people. So what suggestions do you have to people who want um, their supervisors to better understand their talents and help them advance in their careers?
1: Yeah, so I think the first thing to remember when it comes to your job is that they hired you because they believed you could do the job, but it's everything about you is really about them. So if you want to have an opportunity to work on that big project that your boss mentioned in the team meeting that was coming up, think about how you would be able to use your strengths to contribute it to make that project a success. So it's not about you getting the opportunity, it's about how could the project, how could the company reap benefit from your involvement. And so it's 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 putting a little bit of a spin on how you communicate that. You know when you're when you're talking to your manager about something as simple as you know participating in team meetings if it's If if you want to make sure that you are fully understanding what's being said despite the clicking of the air conditioner, the fluorescent lights, the people tapping their pens on the table, you know, all those distractions that are going on in the room that can cause you to miss it, you don't want to go to your manager and say, you know, after every meeting, "I, I didn't catch everything that you said, can you tell me again? Because that's taking away from their bandwidth and their ability to do their job but what you can do is, you know, volu- voluntarily say to your manager, you know, I, I, I process things a little bit differently, and I want to make sure that we're always on the same page so that I can succeed in everything that you're you're talking about. Can I do a synopsis of, of what I thought was went on in the meeting, and you can take a peek at it and let me know if I missed anything? Because that's a lot less effort for the manager than, than having to... Completely recap for an entire meeting
0: twice. What if your synopsis is 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 pretty far off from what like the the manager or supervisor would that, come up then with?
1: Then it's a learning experience. The first time, the second time, the third time, each time it'll get better. You know, because because you'll be looking at the meeting from a different paradigm as well. Like if you declare yourself the official note taker, you can take all the notes you want, process it later, you know, have as much time as you want to process the information, and then, um, you know, gradually get more experience with that and get to the point where you're able to pick things up faster. Hmm. So,
0: so since the pandemic, I, I've moved a lot more of my work to remote, and I never, and I don't want to go back to what it was pre-pandemic, and I'm, and I'm sure a lot of people uh, can, can relate to that. So I know yeah. you've worked um, remotely, I believe, uh, for the last eight years at Bank of America. Um, yeah. So you have kind of a lot of experience with this remote work. How is, what's that process been like? How has that helped you uh, to be successful yeah, so, at Bank of America?
1: Yeah, so, so I started off on a team eight years ago that was 100% remote because everybody was spread out all over the country. And you know, so everybody was was just working remotely because if you went into an office, there would be nobody there for you to talk to anyway. And so then things have changed, and they they you know, I was going to have to go into the office, and I got to thinking about my last experience in an office, and I'm like, I was it was at a time when we had mandatory overtime dealing with some big projects, and so I I remember, you know else would go in two hours early and so they could be home with their families in the evenings and that was before I had my son so I I'm like no 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 I'll stay late because I always think better in the evenings anyway I'm not a morning person at all so thank you for scheduling this in the afternoon (laughs) but um but basically I found that I was getting like my eight hours of work done in the two hours at night when everybody else was gone And then I, and I, and it was early on in my, really my understanding of autism, I was still learning a lot about it. And I found that I I realized that I had a zillion sensory issues. Like it never had occurred to me before. I I just assumed before that everybody else experienced the world that way and, and just figured out how to deal with it. And then I realized, wait, no, that was a sensory issue. That was a sensory issue. That time that my co- my coworker was was scouring her desk constantly with Lysol and it made me want to throw up. Like, yeah, that was a sensory issue. <laughs> you know, it it was it was one of those things where I it, that really made me realize I need to not go into the office to continue to be able to be productive and to continue to be able to do my job. And so I was able to work with the accommodations team at the company to sort out a. An accommodation and, and for my particular role noise cancelling headphones weren't really practical because I had to be on conference calls all day every day the the level at the company that I am I, I, my desk would be in a cubicle giant room full of cubicles the walls on the cubicles weren't that high you know was, you know across the sea of cubicles so you know really for the company the best accommodation was to have me work from home. Um, but I, but I've always caveated that with, okay, if everybody's getting together for a big meeting, I'm going to come in. You know, I'll, I'll, if some, if they're going to do a, a, tele, we have teleconference rooms with the company that you can go in, and and you know have a, a, it's like a conference room with a giant video screen, and so I would be like, okay, if you're going to have a telepresence, I'm going in. You know, so even though I was working from home, I myself would make exceptions to that just to be able to have some of that community like some of my colleagues in technology in a local office would invite me in for the potluck once a month and things you know, like that. Because I do think there's a good, it's good to have that interaction, but from a day to day basis, I really needed to have that work from
0: home. Now, the interview is one of the first steps to employment, but in the vast majority of cases, um, interviews are not geared to highlight uh, the, bil- the abilities of neurodivergent folks. What do you see as the advantages and disadvantages if more interviews in the future are done remotely?
1: I think that would be a huge win for our community. Um, one of the biggest things about like Zooms and whatnot is nobody expects you to look them in the eye. And- <laughs> In order for it to look like you're looking them in the eye, you're actually not looking at them in the eye. You're looking at the camera. <laughs> you know, so, so it's I, I have to remind myself that when I'm trying to do a selfie, I'm like, don't look at myself in the picture. Look up at the camera because otherwise, it looks like you're looking down or something. You know, so it's it also it is a big factor that a lot of people don't think about is that it eliminates anxiety over the environment because ahead of time, ahead of the interview, you may not even realize that doing it but just thinking, okay, am I is this gonna be in a in a giant room with hundred people? Is this gonna be in a break room? Is this gonna be in a private office? What's the color of the like is it gonna be freshly painted? I'm gonna have to deal with that smell. Is it gonna be a color that I can't handle? Like so many factors that go into it, especially the sensory issues. You if you're doing a remote interview, you can control your environment. Yeah. And that's really huge. Um, even better, I think are our phone only interviews because then like you know, there's no camera at all, and um, so that my company does a lot of those where it's just phone only. The yeah. so job that I'm in right now, I just moved into this role at the beginning of the year, and my interview was phone.
0: only I think knowing as ma- many expectations as possible. I mean, interviews are already like anxiety provoking just because they're interviews, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, I, do, I do workshops on accommodations, and people often ask me about accommodations during the interview process. and I'm like, if you can avoid it, that, that's always great. But if you, if it, I don't see why you can't ask, Where are we going to be interviewing? Can you describe the room to me just so I can you know, be prepared? Like, I, I know it's an, probably a very uncommon question, but you know, if I were a recruiter or a manager, I'd be like, Oh, well, yeah, we're going to be in, in my office, and, and uh, so, or, or whatever.
0: Diversity and inclusion initiatives seem to not only be growing at workplaces, but many times these initiatives are not including the hiring and retention of disabled people. You uh, recently received a diversity inclusion certificate from Cornell. So I'm really interested to learn about this. What did you learn from this experience? Was disability included as part of (laughs) diversity (laughs) and inclusion? Yeah,
1: yeah. It's funny you bring that up because I I have an expression. I say that that, uh, disability is the last piece of the diversity and inclusion puzzle. Yeah Uh, because so many of the other disability rights, or or, sorry, so many of the other civil rights movements have come before us, and I feel like we're the last ones at the table. But yeah, I actually approached the certificate program intentionally through the lens of disability, and so um, a lot of the content was related to things like um, unconscious bias and and you know other things that are kind of universal across the affinity groups, but they did they did definitely speak about disability. Uh, but when I whenever I was doing an assignment, I made sure to do it through that disability lens, so that I could you know learn practically how am I going to apply what I learned to my advocacy that I do and the. Work I do inside and outside of my company to make sure that everybody feels welcome and included, and um, and so I I I got some great feedback and comments back from the instructor, and and so it was really, it was, and and also the classmates as well when we did a, a you know group conversation, it was really refreshing to keep, to to see so many people appreciate my perspective.
0: Now beyond Bank of America, you are on on the board of directors for. The Autism Society of America and a chair for the for the panel of people on the spectrum. Can you talk a little bit about um, the Autism Society and specifically what uh, the this panel does? Yeah,
1: sure. Yeah, um, ASA has been around for over sixty five years, and it while well, it did start out as an organization founded by parents, it's really in evolved into focusing on the entire lifespan for people on the spectrum and making sure that you know so you got a diagnosis now what and um, so we have a network of affiliates around the country and my panel is a wide variety of people on the spectrum and we our main or we have a couple of main things that we do we we help the national board and staff when they when they have questions or or need advice on something. We participate in task forces, committees, things like that to make sure that our voice is heard in, in anything, everything the organization does. I've even consulted with the individual affiliates on how to have more people on the spectrum engaged in their, um, in their leadership roles and, and whatnot. And then there's a couple of us that are actually on the board of directors, and it's not a token thing at all. We, we fully contribute, Lars is a, Um, our secretary of the board Um, and then, you know, I'm on the board as well as in my chair position. And, and so, you know, I really love one of our core tenants is our options policy and that we say, you know, it's up to you to figure out what's best for your family and what's best for your situation. We'll help you learn what all the options are, but we're not going to tell you to do this or that because we're like my, my local affiliate, we do things like, Art classes for kids, art classes for young adults. I do a, a, twice a year work in college accommodations workshop. More about practical um, things that in your community. You know, we we'll want to start a cooking class this year. That's, you know, another
0: thing. And you know, I think it's so important that there's more autistic people on on nonprofit boards. Uh, you know, I know you mentioned yeah. you know we're not a token because a lot of times. Uh, that is the case. Do you have any advice for nonprofits in terms of bringing um, more autistic people on the boards and getting their advice and uh, yeah. on a daily basis? They, you should be right. asking your advice point. all the time.
1: Yeah, well, and also look at staff, too. I mean, both my local and our national um, have people with autism on staff, too. So it's not just in the, the leadership roles. But what I would say... If if you are a nonprofit and you want to have more people with any type of disability or autism specifically on your board, you need to think of really two things. Uh, first of all, presume competence. We are competent, just like anybody else. We may some of us may be slower to speak, or need an assistive technology, or you know need some other type of accommodation. Like there's ways to even do pictorial agendas so that someone who can't read can can fully participate in your board. There's lots of different ways to do accommodations. Um, But the other other big thing is, I think, um, just remembering that accommodations might not just be in the day-to-day operations. Like, a lot of people with disabilities, especially in some of the bigger voices in our community, they're not holding down a day job. Their job is to go out and you know s- do public speaking and you know c- you know ha- run these amazing Facebook groups that connect our community and those le- emerging leaders are more than likely actually underemployed or unemployed from a traditional job standpoint and so they If they're willing to volunteer their time to be on your board, perhaps don't have a give or get policy for them. (laughs) You know, because a lot of the, one of the biggest things that I think is a hurdle for people with disabilities in general, not just, um, not just uh, people with autism, is that we are expected to contribute everything for free for the privilege of helping. And when, but when it comes to board service, a lot of times there's an expectation that you do fundraising for the board. Like if you're having trouble putting food on your table, don't ask me to raise a million dollars for your organization. You know, right. so <laughs> you know, so so if if you truly value their input, consider their input to your organization an in-kind donation, and uh, because that's truly what it is. There, you know, I, I, it, it breaks my heart when I hear some of our our both at my local level and the international level, some of our our greatest minds living out of their cars. You know, because. They're, and they've contributed so much to the movement,
0: but they can't support themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I th- and I think that's some, some great advice. Uh, you no, know, Carly, I really appreciated your, your time today. Uh, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Sure, anytime, anytime.
0: Thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks so much to Carly for the conversation. In the podcast description of this episode, you can find a link to book a call to learn how Autism Personal Coach helps people uh, in so many different ways in the employment process, whether it's helping people figure out a job that's right for them, making sure their resumes are appropriate for the job they're applying for, coaching you through the, the job process or making sure you're prepared for interviews, or even supporting you following up with supervisors once you're hired as long as as needed, because it's not easy to find a job, but it's much harder to keep that job. So book a call with me today. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'd also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will have a conversation about self-advocacy. Talk to you then.